Thanks for joining me on the uh, podcast again today. This is part two on a series of uh, topics related to schools and our kids returning to school and starting up school again, but not as they have ever done before. We're in a new day. We're in a new era. So kids are going back to a school that's different, going back to a teacher that's different, going back to a subject matter that's different, and the whole ethos of the school is different. So it's not business as usual to be sure. Now, in the first part, I dealt with the issue of school choice, and that is a positive opportunity for many families. Two million kids choose to go to a charter or a non-public school. There's something like 5,000 charter schools or alternative schools now across the country. It's growing, and every state has alternative education except one state. So, if you are not satisfied with your child being in a particular school, you have opportunities to adjust the school learning situation for that particular student, for your student. Different school, different teachers, uh, going to a private school, going to a charter school, going to a homeschooling arrangement, or whatever it might be. Today I'd like to just indicate this issue of uh, school teachers. School teachers, the one, the one that comes every day to the classroom. She picks up about $65,000 a year annual salary. Now, some schools pay considerably more than that. Some pay maybe just a tad less. But somewhere in that range is the level of, it, of income of the school teacher that your kids have. However, one study showed that about 70% of the students, I mean, pardon me, 70% of the teachers want to get out of the classroom, want to leave the educational world or they're at least thinking about it, which means one of these days they will leave, they'll leave early. Now, one top school in the East has this kind of arrangement for their teachers. They evaluate them twice a month. Somebody sits in the classroom, or they have a discussion with the teacher, and there's an evaluation twice a month, an opportunity for the teacher to examine their teaching methods and approaches and attitudes and so on. And they're finding a tremendous amount of benefit in the schools uh, with that particular orientation of teacher evaluation and upgrading of teacher abilities to meet and discuss. That's what they do. Now, but we do know that for teachers, burnout is real. Now, teachers are coming to a classroom today. That's different. Students are greatly different than what they were just several years ago. The student today, and partly because of the epidemic, the uh, pandemic, two to three years behind in their educational advancement, educational ranking, educational abilities, educational attainment, two to three years behind. And if you take a grade that they should have, let's say a student should have something around a 500 mark, they're down there by about 200. 150 to 200 what students are ranking on that. So you see how far behind they are in their educational ranking. And teachers have to cope with that somehow. They have to bring a student along. So no teacher is now teaching sixth grade. It may be a sixth grade class, but the students are in fourth grade academically. So she's got to teach some kids at a sixth grade level and some kids at a fourth grade level. Now, the testing that has been done so far by our kids going back to school from this pandemic, their time off, They're off almost two years, you know. Here's what the research shows. The Asian kids held their own. In fact, they even advanced over this time. Those are the ones from Korea and Philippines and so on. Chinese. They advanced. 
Weiss students held their own. Well, if there was any particular drop, it was only a few points. However, Hispanic kids dropped considerably, notably, and black kids even dropped further. So you see there is a range of academic advancement and academic loss over these past two years. So naturally, a teacher would like to have a class full of Asian kids, have a class full of Asian and white kids, because they do well academically and it makes the teacher look good. But unfortunately, we have another group of kids that have to be prodded along and brought along and encouraged and educated in a very different manner. Now let me just say this, because it's going to come up over and over again. There's nothing to do with whether they're brown skin or black skin. That is not the issue. We make it the issue. We place our emphasis upon that. We somehow focus on that part of it just to identify a group of kids. But that's not the issue. They're not failing because they're black. They're not going down because they're Hispanic or because they're brown skinned. They're not going up just because they happen to be kind of brown yellow skin like an Asian or they're white skin. That has nothing to do with it. What has to do with it is the academic commitment of the home of the parents, the academic commitment of the teacher that they get in the classroom every day, the academic importance placed upon school and education by the parents, the degree in which parents help the kid after school, by the degree in which the kids have to do homework after school under the parent supervision, the degree in which parents read to their kids, the degree in which parents work with their kids in homework, the degree in which parents praise and approve their kids when they do well in school. That's what the difference is, no matter what color the student might be. Forget the issue of color. It's that quality of education they get at school and the quality of educational support they get at home. Now, unfortunately, not only are kids not doing well in school, but as a group, students are not doing well. California, for instance, has always rated so almost near the bottom of the 50 states in their level of educational attainment. They're down about the 14th from the bottom in many of the years of rating. So California does not have a very excellent school system, no matter what people say. Compared to all the other states of the Union, all 50 states, we come out somewhere down towards the bottom. And when you compare the United States educational system to educational systems around the country, around the world, around the world, we also come out very, very low. We're down about the 40% lot tile. We're 30 to 40%. We're below average. We aren't doing well in our educational system in America. No matter how much we pay our students and pay our, our teachers and prod our, our students and help our students, no matter, how, no matter how much educational money we put into it, we are not doing well at all. Now, here's another point when a teacher comes into the classroom. Not only do they have to deal with this student body that's kind of below average now and below the grade level, but they have to deal with a whole group of students that have been subject to trauma, many sexual trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, come from homes that there's really very little expectation to, to excel. Home life is poor, it's very dysfunctional. Drugs are used regularly by kids and their parents and their, and their brothers, siblings. They've been allowed to be dishonorable, being subjected to sexualized education and sexualized lifestyle. Come from a home that's fatherless, allowed to disobey, allowed to do as they want, when they want, if they want. That's the student that a teacher needs to teach every day. And they're burning out in large numbers. No wonder teachers don't want to be in the classroom anymore. That's the kind of student they have to teach. I can tell you this in, by one example, just one, but it happens over and over again. A young man came to my office, and he graduated from high school, 
just just barely graduated from high school, admitted to me that he used drugs every day of his school life since age 14. Now, on age 14, you're into junior high and starting in high school. Every single day he was under the influence of drugs, and not one teacher, not one, either noticed it or commented about it or confronted him or did anything about it. Now, that's what's going on in the classroom today. Now, that's just one student and one teacher, but that student has an effect upon the entire classroom because the kids know what each other are doing. So, yes, the classroom has been taken over by kids that have dysfunctional life. Now, what about learning markers? You know, schools sometimes just go along the way. This is the subject to be taught today, and this subject to be taught this year, and these are the textbooks, and these are the lessons that we're supposed to go through this particular year and get through it. But we ought to have, I think what we need is what we call learning markers, learning markers. By grade three, you should be able to read. By grade six, you should have a certain kind of math problems conquered. By grade nine, you should have certain knowledge base. That's what we need. We need an educational system that puts markers. And you don't progress from year to year unless you meet those markers. Markers in reading and math and grammar and spelling and physical education. Yes, even your ability and your agility needs to be evaluated at grade three, at grade six, and at grade nine. Those are great years for a marker to catch the kid who's not doing well and then set in an alternative educational plan to correct the problem or improve the educational experience of that particular student. No longer should we be pushing kids through just because of age. We have alternatives. We have vocational education. We have special education. We have alternative ways of doing education. We have other alternative schools, homeschooling and charter schools and uh, so on. There's all kinds of schools, alternative placements of some kind. Kids that are not marking the progress that they need to be making at these levels of three, six, and nine are subject to alternative educational approaches. And schools should have those in place and have those working so that we know what kids are able to do, which, which kids are able to make it and which kids are not, and get them so they can at least have some level of success. Now, one other point, school safety and police on campus and guns on campus. What do you think about all that? Well, we do need level of policing on campuses. I call it level one, level two, and level three campus policing. I've written a paper on that. It just says this, according to your community and according to the neighborhood of your school, you may need a cop with a gun on campus. You may need two or three of them. But if your school is in a neighborhood in a community that's relatively safe and serene, or whatever you want to call that, maybe a level three educational I mean, uh, policing is necessary. Just maybe a cop stops by once in a while, or maybe there's a um, monitor that comes into school, or some kind of a community service officer, or a probation officer, or somebody who's just in the school environment keeping an eye on what's going on, and then level two's in between. In other words, we don't need a cop in every schoolroom, every school building, in every school campus. We don't need that. But we need it in some, and we need to have a way of identifying that, and you identify it relative to the community, the neighborhood in which that school is placed, the crime level of that particular neighborhood, the school history of violence of that particular school determines the level of policing that is necessary. And certainly, schools need to be retrofit. The doors need to be made in such a way that when they're closed, they're locked. Windows, same way, they're locked. We need to have a campus that's safe. 
It's all right to have a gun on campus. We need to have teachers that qualify to have a gun. They've registered. They've had training and carry a gun. I think there should be one gun per, per school. And nobody knows who has it. It can rotate throughout the week and throughout the days. One day a teacher has it in one area of the school, and another day another teacher may have it. And they never know where that particular gun is located. But if it's needed, it's there. So I think we need to think through that one very, very carefully. So schools are certainly a place where we want kids to learn. But we have to create an environment that's a learning generated environment fosters learning it creates learning it stimulates learning it encourages learning it guides the learning process and not only with kids but schools are helping parents as well learn how to be a supportive parent in the home learn how to monitor the homework learn how to get the kid ready for school the next day next morning Make sure he's getting 8 to 10 hours of sleep. Make sure he's leaving his cell phone at home and not bringing it to school. Make sure he has his books and his pencils and his paper and he's ready for school, etc. We need to help parents know how to be parents relative to their educational supervision. So there you are. Thanks for joining me on the uh, podcast today. And um, that's another episode, part two, on returning to our campus, but not in the same way that we did it before. Sure, schools are starting up again. But they're starting up differently now. And parents and teachers both need to recognize that, accept the responsibility, and create a learning environment that our kids will flourish and thrive all year long. Thanks for joining me on part one, but also today on part two. I'll pick up part three the next time. Bye for now. Thank you.